Turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the last few verses of Acts chapter 2 to begin with. Uh, I'm not sure uh, when Alan assigned me with the topic of corporate prayer in the life of the church, uh, what his goal and plan was, and (laughs) probably I didn't ask him on purpose. (laughs) So we're going to talk a little bit about corporate prayer in the life of the church. Uh, It's been a while, but more than once I've been asked uh, by someone uh, who was visiting our church? Um, uh, how is it anyone can get saved in your church without having an invitation? I don't know if you've ever been asked that. Some come, and uh, you know, my mother loved to hear her son preach, but we were too boring. <laughs> So she would come here on occasions, but she had her church that was a little more lively in the services. Um, And so you have that. And so why is our worship service and our evening prayer service that uh, I'm going to combine as corporate worship? Why is it that we do what we do in our services, the way that we do them, and why is it the same thing almost every week? Uh, legitimate questions. We, uh, we have always, I've always said, or I always heard, and all, we always say to each other, God forbid that we would bore people with the Word of God. All right? We don't want to be boring on purpose. But how in the world can the Word of God and the worship of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ be boring? It says more about each of us individually than it does about what we do on Sunday morning and Sunday evening at church. Uh, we, We hold to the regulative principle which says that the Word of God regulates what we do. We do what is commanded and then what we see by example versus what most would say we do what's commanded and anything that's not prohibited. And if you think about anything not prohibited, that's a you can do a lot of stuff up there on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and whenever you have corporate worship, that would be legitimate if it's not prohibited. We're on the other side, the, the uh, side of it. And so I want to go over some reasons and, and what's the basis for what we do. Uh, just looking at basically two passages, and uh, we will hopefully walk through and maybe answer some questions, and I'll do my best to end where we, if you have questions, you can ask me. Let's pray before we go. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that none of us are here. None of us are a part of 
fellowship with you, a part of your family, because you saw great potential in us, other than the fact that you created us in your image. And you know, you knew that when you made us new, gave us new life, filled us with your spirit, that you could use us as instruments to accomplish your eternal purposes. So we come to you thankful. We come to you grateful. We come to you with warmed hearts and assured hearts that we might boldly approach you in our prayer time because of Jesus Christ. In the power of the Spirit, to offer to you our praise, thanksgiving, to plead for forgiveness and bring our requests. Be with us for this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin reading uh, verse 37. Peter has finished his Pentecost sermon. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, ending, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. But I just want to look at verses 41 and 42. The uh, original actions as people are being converted in the church and then the kind of ongoing and continuing devotion of the church as this church was being created and, and uh, growing. So in verse 41, those who received his word after the word was preached, of those who received the word, So they've heard the gospel, they've been converted, they're baptized, 
and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So uh, the beginning of the original thing is you're converted, baptized upon your profession of faith, and you become a member of a local church. And then in verse 42, the four basic or, or most basic elements of corporate worship in there, uh, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, formal worship under the leadership of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ at this time. Now, this is the book of Acts. There's not commands here. Uh, this is a narrative, a, a telling the story. We don't uh, build our doctrines. We build. We look at these narratives, and we don't build what must happen. But we do see the examples here given that are uh, commanded in other areas of Scripture. So these four are the main areas. It's not all that we would do. Uh, because of other scriptures, but these are descriptive and they're not directives. Notice that this is just telling us what they did, not commanding us what to do. Uh, uh, so, and their narrative, not explicitly commanded, but they're God's appointed parts of worship to be observed in every church, every Christian church. And so, as elders, we're called to appoint these uh, regular meetings to incorporate the elements that God calls us to observe in worship of Him. And these last few years, shortly after we moved to this building, when we had free access to a building all the time, we really came to see that it required more than one meeting a week. So we meet on... We began meeting on Sunday evening sometime shortly after we came here, right? Uh, if I remember right, it was shortly after we came here uh, when we'd not met on Sunday night because of we didn't have access all the time. But we're uh, so God ordained these as a means of grace to benefit uh, us to observe these elements of worship and to glorify Him as we did, as we do. Um, so it's really uh, there in verse 42, there's uh, one and, so there's two sets, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. I'm sorry, there are two ands, but there's the apostles' teaching and fellowship. There's the breaking of bread and prayers. So uh, we're going to teach the Word, and we're going to preach the Word when we gather for worship. The fellowship is an interesting word. It's the idea that we've talked about koinonia. It's, it's our closeness. It's our uh, uh, mutual friendship in Christ. But it also carries the idea of sharing, contributing to uh, the church as the church worships. So it's taking part, it's participation, not just uh, sitting back. We don't have an auditorium over here. You don't come in and audit the class. This is a, I don't know, we don't even know what to call it, but you're a participant. 
the you are the uh, God is the audience and you are the actors if you want to take a theatrical picture of it. And uh, uh, so anyway, it, it's a, a sharing together in our worship of God through all of the means of sharing. Part of that's even contributing uh, financially. Uh, it's a sense of community in our worship. And then it's breaking of bread. And of course, the would include the ordinances and our prayers. Um, I don't know if you noticed, you, uh, I imagine you have if you've been coming very long. We start out, uh, some of you probably learned to pray with the acrostic acts, right? Acts and prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication or requests. And I don't know if you know that or noticed that our service is pretty much laid out sort of that way. We open up with a call to worship, adoring God, an adoration of, of God. And we have a prayer of praise or a prayer of a call to worship our God. Then the next prayer that comes up is a prayer of confession and thanksgiving that we sort of combine together. We confess our sins before God, our need for his forgiveness, and our thanksgiving for that forgiveness. Then we have a pastoral prayer is what we call it, uh, and those are, we bring requests to God. We pray for other folks. We pray for the service. We pray for the preaching of the word to have to bear fruit. And then, of course, we just have a, a closing prayer. So it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and our petitions. Now turn to 1 Timothy 2. And we'll look a little more specifically as to how it is that uh, God lays out for us in, uh, in the area of the prayers. And it's the prayers there in Acts chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of, our, of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all who is the testimony given at the proper time, which is the testimony given at the proper time, for I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respect, the respectable peril with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness 
with good works. I'll just stop right there. Um, So, Paul begins by urging prayer for all people, all kinds of people, all kinds of prayer, uh, whether supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people, kings and all who are in high positions. So uh, there's this idea of praying for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And then verse 8, after uh, verses 3 through 7, he just, uh, it's a doxology of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost like a parenthesis as he says, pray. And then he says in verse 8, therefore, or then, I desire in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And then he also speaks to the women. Um, so the then of verse 8 refers back to those first two verses. All kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. And he says, I desire. And he begins with, I desire. This isn't Paul as an apostle uh, desiring. He's, he's calling upon his apostolic authority as he talks to Timothy, who, as best we know, here in 1 Timothy, is pastoring the church in Ephesus. He has taken over the church in Ephesus. This is not just Paul's wish, his pining desire. Um, this is more like, I, I thought about a basketball coach. I don't, uh, you know... A couple of us think of in terms of round balls sometimes or maybe a football. But a basketball coach, you'll call a timeout. His team is getting – one guy is just beating them up. He's, he's scoring and scoring and scoring and uh, calls a timeout. He gathers those five guys right there, and he says, I want you to stop that guy. Paul says, I want you – to pray for all people everywhere with all kinds of prayers. It's the apostle uh, commanding with his desire for this to happen in the churches. It's not optional. It's a command. It's obligatory, if you will. The church that's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and what they say to us uh, as a church, Christ says to the church, and so we must do not just the desire of Paul, but the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ to pray when you gather for worship amid all the averseness to authority and the law Uh, In our day, uh, the desire for personal fulfillment, the apostles, God through his apostles has, uh, especially in worship, has told us how to approach him, to be pleasing to him. Uh, And so uh, we, uh, Paul desires that the men the men as opposed to the women. This is not mankind. This is men, the, the males in the church, uh, uh, adult males as opposed to the uh, boys in the church. He says, 
I desire that the men, in verse 8, should pray. Uh, We need to carefully adhere to the apostles' commands so that we might have God-centered, God-pleasing worship. God-ordained male leadership for humanity in general and and out of respect of Him as our Creator, uh, both in the home and the church, this divine order must be carefully observed. I, I desire that then that in every place the men should pray. It seems like Paul's saying everywhere. Um, talking about praying wherever, whenever, for whoever. And there is a sense in which that is true, but the context of First Timothy, Paul is instructing Timothy to fulfill his ministry in the church at Ephesus. In the church, his ministry in the church. And so it's more specifically in every place where the congregation gathers for public worship. Uh, He's clearly speaking of the uh, formal meetings in the church. Uh, Paul's not saying that in verses 9 through 12 that the ladies can't pray in the presence of men. That's not what is prohibited. He's not saying that women can never even give uh, informal instruction to men. We know Priscilla, with Aquila, pulled Apollos to the side and straightened out his theology, his gospel. So Paul is not saying that women can... uh, not give informal instruction to men, that women can't pray in in small groups, in Bible studies, even in the presence of men. But Paul's saying the women shouldn't lead the church in prayer. That should be a task for the men when we gather uh, as the family, as the house of God. And when the men do pray, they need to lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So when the men are called to pray, there must be confession of sin. Uh, Not that that they must have confessed their known sin because it's staining their souls. If they have a good reason to be angry and then go to that person, you know... uh, when, Luke, when, when Jesus teaches there in Luke 17, Paul's, uh, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, pay attention. All right, I'm about to teach you something. You're not going to like it, pay attention. He starts out, pay attention. Uh, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Okay, we got it. If he repents, forgive him. Um, okay. As long as he means it, right? <laughs> no. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The disciples respond to this. Lord, give us faith. 
we don't think we can do this. But the Lord directs us how to deal with offenses. And we don't want to pray, you know, uh, occasionally you'll see someone in our service kind of raise their hands and, um, okay, but it needs to be holy hands. Holy hands. And if you're going to pray before God, men, needs to be holy hands. You don't come up there with a, a, a unresolved sin. Let somebody else do it. In God-centered worship, we're obligated to include corporate prayer led by the men of the church. A failure to pray as a church together in worship can hardly be called worship. It's a contradiction of our own faith. We've heard that if we don't pray, we're lacking in faith. We don't have faith. Well, that's a contradiction of our faith in the sovereignty of God and our inability if we don't pray. Uh, our evening service, I, uh, I got Spurgeon's little book called Only a Prayer Meeting. I don't know what your experience has been with prayer meetings. Um, I had said for about 13 years of the life of Providence, jokingly, but not so sure it was a joke, that if uh, we decided to have an evening service, I might get fired. We enjoyed our Sunday evenings off. One, we didn't have access to a place without paying more money than we had. Uh, but two, life is busy. And the evening was a good time to prepare for the next day. And we lost a sense of the Lord's day. We had the Lord's morning. And what we saw in the life of the church, though we enjoyed the time off, Saturday for men, Sunday for many became Saturday also. Became just like Saturday, only we went to church in the morning. And then the elders were convicted. And so now we cap the Lord's Day with a one one hour service, corporate worship in prayer, focused on prayer and the reading of the word. We had no idea what to expect. We of little faith didn't expect a lot. Here's what Spurgeon said as he, a message entitled Only a Prayer Meeting. What a company we have on Sunday nights. The reason I ordered this only a prayer meeting before I had this this assignment was looking at our Sunday evening service. And what a company we have. And God has been good to us. We've always had a prayer meeting. Before it was on Wednesday. Now it's on Sunday. And I think the Lord has blessed Providence in part because of our always having some sort of a prayer meeting every week. 
And I'm thankful to God for you who come. And thankful to God for what he does with us in that evening service. We hear testimony, we hear the word, we sing, and we pray. In that prayer meeting, here's a question. Who should pray? Uh, Men, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And here's what I wrote. All men should be willing. All members, all adult men who are members should be willing, not required, but encouraged. Um, If you say you can't, don't forget, you're not praying to be judged on your eloquence. You're speaking to God, not to the people. Here's what Spurgeon says. It does good, does everyone good to hear both seasoned veterans and learning novices to voice their concerns and requests to God. How should we not pray? Long prayers with empty phrases and, of course, vain repetitions. Repetitions aren't bad. It's vain repetitions. It's filling up time and space. It's feeling like you have, we have to pray as eloquently as the last person did or at least uh, almost as long as the last person did or, you know, you get the idea. We don't want to preach when we pray. I have a temptation every closing prayer of every sermon I preach to pray what I didn't say in the sermon. (laughs) That's not prayer. I know Corey has all of his down, so, but I don't. And and just praying uh, the word of God is to God's glory. So we don't want long, empty prayer, long prayers with vain repetitions. I'll say it that way. That's the way Jesus talked about it. We don't want to be preaching when we pray, reviewing our own experiences. Here's what's length is a death blow to earnestness. Brevity is an assistance to zeal. Don't need to go long. Remember, you're addressing God. He's not interested in what you know. Be brief, heartfelt, earnest, giving a bit of a reality to the whole matter. One more time for Spurgeon. The cries of the lambs must mingle with the bleating of the sheep. Bleating, B-L-E-A-T, bleating of the sheep or the flock will lack much of its natural music. The cries of the lambs must mingle with the bleeding of the sheep. And then just a couple of things of what to pray for. Genuine revival of the saints and salvation for the lost. 
I think so often we are more concerned about what's going on out there. You know, our country's going down the tubes. Churches aren't preaching the word like we are. You know, there's a subtle pride there, right? And not so subtle pride. But we're so concerned out there about what's not going according to our standard. Look, we got enough to answer to God for what's going on in here. We need to pray for spiritual revival within this church and let the Lord use us to take the gospel out there, right? Second, here's Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find Rest for your souls. We have to pray to maintain the old paths, the rich doctrines of the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We're constantly told, I don't know, this uh, new improved ideas are what need to come. And uh, doctrine divides. Just give me Jesus in the Bible and everything's fine. Uh, but we, we uh, uh, faithful teaching in our church is important, and we want to pray for that to be maintained because uh, there's opposition. It's hard to fight through some of the scriptures that God has left for it. It's hard to maintain without being without succumbing to some of the pressures of friends and the family. Um, we need to pray for a clear presentation of the gospel. Third, so genuine revival of the saints and salvation for the lost, uh, maintaining the old paths, resurgence of pursuit of and training for godliness. Somebody's already mentioned train yourself for godliness. I think that may be in my first breakout uh, in that I attended. Train yourself for godliness. That's, that's that word, that word gymnasium as a verb. Gumnadzo. Go to the gym for godliness. Uh, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way and it holds promise for the f- present life and also for the life to come. So we need to pray for a continuation and resurgence of the pursuit of godliness and the training that will make that happen. Uh, We need a vibrant and growing household faith. Faith within our homes. Uh, Fathers, husbands need to lead in their homes. We need to pray for mothers Wives who are setting the tone and the temper within the household. Ladies, you have the power of influence within your home, and we men have the power of responsibility. Um, Children, we need to pray for children preparing themselves and parents assisting them as they're preparing for adulthood, young adulthood. Uh, We're raising them in one sense to leave. We want to pray in that way 
helping our children to become responsible for when they leave. If you're single at the present time, here's my notes. Take advantage of your current singleness. Paul says, though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Study and pray in your home. Be single so that you might be single-minded in your service to the Lord and his people. And if you're seeking a spouse while you're single, prepare yourself to be a godly mate and be praying for the one who might become your mate. All Christians availing ourselves of the means of grace, prayer, Bible study, uh, the worship of the church, Establishing spiritual disciplines that will lead to a fifth thing. We need to pray for saints with vigorous, consecrated strength. That's Spurgeon's words. Vigorous, consecrated strength, which is the result of godliness. He said the church cannot do without champions. Um. We need gracious minds trained to a high form of spiritual life by much conversation with God in solitude. Uh, We just raffled off a list of prayers of John Knox. What was the name of that book? The Prayers of John Knox. Somebody won that. Okay, what's the name of it, Brian? The Collected Prayers of John Knox. Bloody Mary, the Queen of of Scotland... Uh, I think she had probably England, too, at the time. Bloody Mary only feared one thing, John Knox. And the prayers of John Knox are right in there. He'd go knock on that castle door, and Bloody Mary would say, I'm not home. (laughs) Elijah, Elijah, right? Closed the windows of heaven and then prayed, and the windows of heaven opened We need gracious minds trained to a high form of spiritual life by much conversation with God in solitude. And that doesn't come from sudden or sporadic effort, but a life devoted to God daily. Someone recommended, someone said, I'm not sure uh, how to pray sometimes. I don't have the word, uh, the Valley of Vision, the the little book of Puritan prayers. Just sit down with those and pray those prayers and you'll be, you'll be enriched in the inner man and inner woman. Uh, and then let your request be made known. Which, to help the entire congregation get involved in the ministry of intercession. I don't know how many times, well, it hasn't been a lot, but there have been times when we, uh, we uh, I don't know whether I say the leaders or PBC or some of you, some of uh, have been accused of not caring with someone, but we didn't even know about it. How are we going to care and pray if we don't know? So share what you truly need with the congregation. And it doesn't have to be the whole congregation. It doesn't have to go to James's prayer list. But share so others might intercede in your behalf. You know, the 
when we pray in prayer service, you say, well, I'm a lady, I can't. Or a young man and young woman, I can't. Well, you can. You can pray right where you are and pray along with those who are praying. All is vain, of course, unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Uh, am I, is it five till that I quit? <laughs> you don't know? Here, I just, I'm just going to read Don Carson's prayer uh, that he closes his book on spiritual formation, uh, studying the life of Paul, or the prayers of Paul. Uh, let's think of this as our prayer. A prayer for spiritual reformation is what he calls it. He says, And now, Lord God, I ask your blessing on all I filled in the blank, who attend this seminar. Without it, there will be no real benefit without your blessing. We may have education, but not compassion. We may have forms of praying, but no fruitful adoration and intercession. We may have great words, but be lacking in unction. We may thrill one another, but not transform each other. We may expand our minds, but display too little wisdom and understanding. We may amuse many, but find few who are solidly regenerated by your blessed Holy Spirit. So we ask for you, ask you for your blessing, for the power of the Spirit, so that we may know you better and grow in our grasp of your incalculable love for us. Bless us, Lord, not with ease or endless triumph, but with faithfulness, with the right number of tears, with minds and hearts that hunger both to know and to do your word, with a profound hunger and thirst for righteousness, a zeal for truth, a love for people. Bless us with the perspective that weighs all things from the vantage point of eternity and with the transparent love of holiness. Grant to us strength and weakness, joy and sorrow, calmness and conflict, patience when opposed, trustworthiness under temptation, love when we're hated, firmness and farsightedness when the climate prefers faddishness and drift. We beg of you, holy and merciful God, that we may be used by you to extend your kingdom to bring many to know and love you truly. Grant above all that our lives will increasingly increasingly bring glory to your dear Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back Jesus from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. Equip us with every good for doing his will. Work in us what is pleasing in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.